Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day, for the Lord's day, to gather and worship you in spirit and truth and to get into your word and to feed from your word, Lord God. Help us to grow this morning. This is our daily bread, your very word spoken. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may have a seat. And if you would, turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, why, why do we come to church? Why do we come to church? You know, I, all I can say is this. I got one thing to offer at Calvary Chapel, Irmo. And that's the Word. We're going to get into the Word. Every Sunday, we're, we're going we're to work our way through Scripture. Because I want to see you guys grow. I want to see you guys become strong believers in Christ. I want to see you guys maintain your Christian walk and your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my motivation. That's our motivation at Calvary Chapel, is to be a watering hole where people can come and learn and grow in their faith and love for Jesus Christ. So I hope you've come for that reason this morning. And if you've come for that reason, my plan is to not disappoint. And I can say we won't disappoint. Why? Because the Word of God doesn't disappoint. So praise the Lord for that. You get to study this morning the inspired, living, enduring Word of God. Man, it's an amazing thing. And I, I'm, just, I'm excited to dive into it. So if you would, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, this morning I will be teaching uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses uh, 13 through 25. And this passage, uh, you know, it talks about obeying the civil authorities, obeying your uh, leaders, but, and, and it also talks about following Christ's example. The authors, uh, excuse me, the recipients of this book were going through challenging, difficult times. They were being persecuted for their faith. This is written shortly after uh, the persecution of the Christians started in 64 AD, supposedly after the fire at Rome. But I want to show you this morning where I got my message title. First, I'll give it to you up front. The title of my message is, Do What is Right. That's the title of my, of my teaching this morning. And look at, in your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 2, and look at verse uh, 14. Look at verse 14. It says, Or to governors as sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. He, said, he uses that phrase in verse 14. Then look down at verse 15. For such is the will of God that by, here's that phrase again, doing right, that you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now skip down to verse 20. Skip down to verse 20. It says, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But when you, here it is, that same phrase again, do what is right and suffer for it. You patiently endure it, and, that find, and this finds favor with God. The title of my message comes from these three verses in this passage. So I'm going to focus my teaching this morning around doing what is right. Now, the audience that Peter was writing to, as I said a while ago, they were undergoing persecution. 
They were undergoing difficult times. And how many of you know when you're undergoing persecution and you're undergoing difficult times, it's real easy to cut corners. It's real easy to cut corners and it's not always easy to do what is right because sometimes doing what is right can put you at odds with others around you or with the civil, civil authorities or even with the ungodly world. And Peter is reminding his audience here, family, I know you're undergoing persecution. I know you're undergoing difficult times. And that could be very well ahead on the horizon for Christians living in our day and age. He's reminding them, you got to do what's right. You see, living the Christian life, living the Christian life is not about, not about doing what is easy. Living the Christian life is not about doing what is popular. Living the Christian life and serving Christ is about walking in moral integrity and doing the right thing. That is is what it comes down to. In each and every one of us, each and every one of us, within the sound of my voice, we're tempted to compromise. We're tempted to do the wrong thing. Maybe we won't experience as much persecution or as much suffering if we compromise. But family, when it comes to those points in life, man, we got to stand firm. Stand firm on our faith. Stand firm in the word and do what is right. Romans uh, 16, 19 says, uh, everyone has heard about your obedience. I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent of what is evil. You see, our moral integrity matters to God. And it says, it says to be innocent about what is evil. That's found in Romans 16, 19. In other words, when it comes to evil and it comes to sin, we are to stay away. We are to stay away. We don't go near. We don't play. Or as the old, old saying goes, we don't poke the bear. Because if you poke the bear, he's going to claw you back. Okay? So we need to be innocent about what is evil, and we, and we need to live lives of doing good in the name of Christ. So the title of my message again is uh, Doing What is Right. And without further ado, let's learn together this morning from God's word on what it means to do what is right. Verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Let's look at the first two verses. He says, First, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Remember, the audience is being persecuted. They're, under, uh, they're going through difficult times, but he's telling them, respect the authorities. Do what the law says. And if we're going to do what is right, you and I as Christians are called to be model citizens. We're called to be model citizens. We're called to obey the laws of the land. We, we, are, we are called to set an example for others to live when it's obeying the laws and, and doing what our government says. We are called to submit to their authority. We're called to submit to their authority and their rule, as the Scripture says, and as part of our Christian witness, okay? We should be good, solid, law-abiding citizens for God in this world. There's only one exception There's only one exception where Scripture permits us to go against the law of the land. And that is when the law of the land contradicts Scripture or goes against Scripture. And we call that 
uh, phrase, civil disobedience. Civil disobedience. When, when the Word of God clearly says, this is what is right, this is what is true, and the law of the land goes against Scripture, then we say, no, we obey God. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter told them, he says, we obey God rather than man in all situations. Civil disobedience. Examples, lots of examples in Scripture of civil disobedience that the believers before us have, have exercised. In Exodus chapter 1, uh, the Hebrew midwives commanded by Pharaoh to kill all male babies. But the Hebrew midwives, according to Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, the Scripture says they feared God and they did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the midwives were given a command from the authorities that went against God's word, and they said, no, we do not. We will let these babies live. We will do the right thing. In Joshua chapter 2, Rahab was ordered by the king of Jericho to turn over the spies from Israel. She defied his orders and let the spies down by a rope so they could escape from the city. Rahab had received a clear order from the governing authorities to let, let, turn those spies over to us. But what did Rahab do? She obeyed God instead. She had heard of the God of Israel. She had heard of the mighty and the miraculous things that he had done. And she knew that these men, the spies from Israel, were on a mission from the Lord. And she preserved them and she did not obey the, um, the king's orders. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to obey Nebuchadnezzar's order to bow down to the golden idol. Why? Because the second commandment. The second commandment says you shall not bow down to any graven image except the Lord. Here, the, these Hebrew young men obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord and they defied the authorities because the authorities were telling them to go against God's word. A couple more. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel was ordered by King Darius to not pray to anyone other than the king. What do we know? We know what Daniel did. He stayed faithful to the Lord. Acts chapter 5 in the New Testament. We see the civil disobedience of Peter and John toward the authorities. After Peter had been healed, excuse me, after Peter healed a man born lame, Peter and John were arrested for preaching about Jesus and they were placed in jail. And the authorities ordered them to stop preaching about Jesus. But Peter said, it's found in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. He says, in all situations, he doesn't say all situations, but he says, we must obey God rather than men. And I add to that, in all situations, we obey the Lord first. We, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and obeying his word. And his word trumps all human laws and institutions. But as long as those laws are are good with the Word of God, men, we should be the very best law-abiding citizens. We should be model citizens for the world that we live in. And if you notice back at verse 13, he says, submit yourself, I like this. I like this phrase he puts in verse 13. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Not, not to show off yourself, but to show off the God who's dwelling inside of you by His Spirit for us to be a godly influence, for us to pe show people the truth, and for us to represent Christ. Let's continue looking at the theme is doing the right thing. Verse 15, we'll see, we'll see that phrase in verse 15. If it's such is the will of God, that by, there it is, doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
You see, family, when we do what is right, number one, it's God's will. It's God's will for your life to do right in all situations, especially in times of persecution, especially in times of difficulty. We need to commit in our hearts to, to walking in integrity, to walking in honesty, and to letting our, our, our actions honor the Lord. That is what it means to do what's right. And notice in verse 15, he also says that you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So when we do what is right, verse 15 says what? We will silence our critics. You know, when Christians fall, the world will ridicule them. They will use the believer's fall as an excuse to reject Christianity. But when we do what is right, we bring credibility to our faith. And doing what is right in this world, in our, in our daily Christian life, shows that our faith is real. It shows that our faith is real and that our faith is authentic. If we will just commit in our lives, in our schools, in our work, in our church, in our daily lives, to say, Lord, help me to do what is right. And it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be difficult times that you're going to face. But, but reach down deep inside and ask God to help you. Say, Lord, help me. Help me today to do what's right. Help me to make the right decisions in life and do what is right. Verse 16, he says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. And here's verse 17, one of the most famous verses in the Bible that's quoted at many events. It's uh, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Family, we do what's right. There's four things there I want, I want to latch on to it for just a minute. I just want to bring out. But there's four things, according to verse 17, that um, is part of doing what's right. And what's the first one? Honor all people. Why do we honor all people? My students know this on Wednesday nights. My students know this phrase. It's we honor all people because all people are imagadeo. What does imagadeo mean? Anybody? In the image of God. All people, all people in this world, young, old, doesn't matter what skin color they are, all human beings on planet Earth are created imagadeo. They are created in the image of God. They are, they are created for a special purpose, for a special reason. And we are to show all people, whether they agree with us or they disagree with us, we are to show all people respect. We're to show all people respect. I'm not here to make enemies, okay? I'm not here to make enemies. I'm here to win people over to Christ. I'm here to be a witness, to show them the truth of, the, of who God is. And I want to honor them, show them respect. I'm going to preach the gospel to them. I'm going to share the gospel with them that if they'll repent, they'll believe, they'll put their trust in Christ, they'll be saved, they'll be born again. But I'm going to respect them. I'm going to honor them. We as Christians... We do not discriminate against any class of people based on skin color, nationality, or economic status. 
Man, we welcome all people from all walks of life into our church, into our community, into our families. That's so important that we do that as Christians. That's part of our witness. And that gives us a doorway as we welcome people and invite them to share the gospel with them. Because ultimately, that's the ultimate purpose at the end of the day, is that we build relationships, we build friendships, and we share the gospel. We share who Christ is. Second thing he says there in uh, verse 17, he says, love the brotherhood. You know, we do what's right when we love the body of Christ, when we love our brothers and sisters. Loving your brothers and sisters not only means showing affection and, and care and concern, but it also means holding them accountable, showing them that you care. When you don't see someone for a while, give them a call. Hey, brother, hey, sister, how are you doing? Show love, show concern for one another. We want to hold each other up. We want to build each other up. We want to encourage one another. And we want to love the brotherhood or love the sisterhood, love the family of God. Jesus said in John chapter 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Okay? Jesus said to himself, we are to love one another within the body of Christ. He says, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. So the love starts with God. It's his love displayed to us. Is it, it works within the body of Christ. And then we take that love outside the four walls of the church. And we love people in the name of Christ. And we show them our family of love and our care for one another. Thirdly, sitting here at verse 17, we do us right when we fear God. We do us right when we fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, fearing God does not mean that you're scared of God, but it means you, ha you stand in all of God, that, that you have a respect for God, that you understand that God is holy. And when you have that revelation and that understanding of knowing who God is and knowing that God is holy and you, stand, you have respect and you stand in all of him, it should cause you and I to run from sin, to run from evil as far as our own walk is concerned. And at the same time, that holy respect for God will cause us to hate sin and to hate evil and to do our very best in this Christian life to, to drive back the forces of darkness with the truth of God's word because we love him. But we're called to fear God. We're called to respect him with a holy reverence. And, and that's who he is. Revelation chapter four says that the angels surround the throne at this very moment and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. So God is holy. The fourth way we do what's right according to verse 17 it says we honor the king we honor the king in other words we are called as christians to respect our political leaders we're called to respect all of our political leaders and we're called by scripture to pray for all of our political leaders we pray for our president we pray for our governor we pray for all of those in authority and we obey their laws when their laws and policies are subservient to Scripture. But we pray for them, and, and we honor them. God has given us civil authorities, and he's given us law enforcement, and he's given us a government 
to, to manage the world. Can you imagine a world without police and law enforcement and a government? It would be crazy. It would be anarchy. You know, they're here to, to give us civility, to, to, to give us peace in the land. And we as Christians need to be good, law-abiding citizens, and we need to honor our king. Again, that is only when, uh, it's only when these, those laws do not, those, um, the laws of the land do not violate the law of God. When the laws of the land violate the laws of God, then you go into civil disobedience and you say, no, I don't accept that. I don't, re- I don't, I don't honor that. But that's, what we do. that's how we do what's right, friends. That's practical Christian living for today, that you honor all people because they're created in the image of God, that you, you love the body of Christ, that you have a healthy fear of the Lord, and that you honor the king. Verse 18 says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. I love this because this was written 2,000 years ago. So back in the day when this was written, you know, he's thinking about somebody who's got a boss, somebody who's going to work, a blue-collar worker, and some bosses are nice, and some bosses are a jerk. He says some of them, sometimes your, 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 your masters or who you're working for is good and gentle, and we praise the Lord for those guys, you know. There's nothing like having a good and gentle and kind supervisor. But sometimes you, you get a bad apple. You get a bad apple. How do you deal with those supervisors or bosses that are unreasonable? He tells us right there. He says, be submissive to your masters with all respect. You know, we are called to do what is right. Excuse me. We do what's right when we obey our boss at work, when we we obey our supervisors, when we do our very best, when we show respect, when we follow instructions. And, and we do what they say. Because again, whether it's at work or at home or in the community, our goal is to be a witness for Christ Jesus. And that being a witness doesn't stop in our home and our community, but it goes to our work also. So, you know, you got, you got a supervisor that's, that's pretty difficult, that's hard to deal with. You know, my, my suggestion to you is, is pray for him. Is, is pray for him, but after you pray for him, do your very best at work. Be the very best employee you can. If, if I, I tell my kids, if, if, the, if the boss tells you to be there at 8 o'clock, be there at 745. If they need extra work done, volunteer for it. Be your very best at work. Submit to your masters and work and work hard, and you will be rewarded, hopefully by your job, but more importantly, you'll be rewarded by the Lord. And that's who we're ultimately working for. Verse 19 he says, for this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow when he's suffering, when suffering unjustly. Verse 20, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. There's some, Twitter. there's, he takes some several turns there. You may be saying, what is the point of verses 19 and 20? And the point of verses 19 and 20 in layman's terms is this. Even if we have to suffer, we are called to do what is right. 
Standing for the truth may not be popular, but it is the right thing to do. We are called as Christians to call out evil, to call out sin, to call out wickedness in this world. Standing for truth will not uh, win you a popularity contest. Just ask JTB. You know who JTB is? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Do you remember that? Remember that dude? Back in the Gospel of Matthew, he went and confronted Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was having an adulterous affair with his brother's wife. He was having an ancestral relationship with his brother's wife. And Herod Antipas goes to him and he confronts him over his sin. And what did it cost John the Baptist? It cost him his head. It cost him his head. John the Baptist, looking at verse 19, it says, bearing up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. He was bearing under the sorrows. In other words, he was enduring it. He, he was enduring it for the sake of the truth. And he didn't bow down, and it cost him his life. You see, my friends, your godly values will put you at odds with an ungodly world. But what we have to do as believers is we have to stay true to Scripture. We have to stay true to Scripture and stay true to what we believe. And when the fire gets hot, just hang on tight. When the, when the suffering, the persecution, the difficult times come, just cling to the Word of God like, like, like a precious jewel. You know, last week we, we were talking about, um, in last week's passage, we were talking about, you know, a, a true sign of salvation a true, an authentic sign of a believer is Jesus is precious to you. That's what the text was saying. Is Jesus Christ precious to you? And we got to cling to Christ. Uh, you should cling to Christ like he is the most precious thing to you in this life. And when you cling to him as he is the most precious thing to you in this life, you will be able to endure the hard times and the difficult times. And doing that, clinging and holding on to him, you will be able to, my phrase, do what is right. Doing what is right. Verse 21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So Peter's writing this to the Christians. They're going through difficult times. They're being persecuted. Times are tough. And what he does here in the text moving forward is he is going to remind these Christians that are undergoing persecution, difficult times, he's going to remind them, hey, Christ has been there. You're out there suffering difficulty and it's, being very, it's very challenging for you. Christ has already been through this. Look to our Lord and Savior. If he went through difficult times, so will you. So verse 21 for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example for you to follow in his steps. Where, where, this is where a believer finds his or her peace in their time of persecution, in their time of difficulty, in their time of suffering, is they reflect on the sufferings and the difficult times that Christ went through. They nailed Jesus to a tree. We need to remember that. They nailed our Savior our Lord and our King, they nailed him to a tree. Christ endured unjust punishment. 
He was, as, as he's going to go into the scripture in just a second, he was the sinless, perfect lamb of God. He deserved no evil done towards him, but he endured it though. And if you find yourself in a place of persecution in this life, if you find yourself in a place of, where there's adverse actions being taken against you because of your faith, my encouragement to you is remember Christ. Remember Christ. If they, if, if, if they persecuted him, what does the scripture say? They will persecute you. If, if he went through a difficult time, who are we to think that we'll experience anything different? He spoke the truth. He spoke the truth to Pilate. And Pilate makes that famous statement, what is truth? Pilate went postmodern on him. And Jesus told his disciples on the evening before his crucifixion in John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we have to remember Christ. You know, he, 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 he took a beating. He went all the way to the cross. But we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. We know what happened on that third day, how he gloriously rose from the grave he went through serious suffering, but now he's exalted at the right hand of the Father. So we look to Christ. Verse 22 kind of goes into what I was just mentioning. Look at verse 22. He says, Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And being reviled, he did not revile in return while suffering. But he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges uh, righteously. You see, this is doing the right thing. Jesus was doing the right thing in the moment of his difficulty on the, on the Via Della Rosa, there at the cross, uh, standing before the, the religious leaders and the political leaders. There was no sin on Jesus' part. There was no vengeance. There was no payback. When the, and, and this teaches you and I, family, that, that when the world spews hatred towards us, we don't spew hatred back. We love them. We love them. We, we, we love people. When they curse us, we pray for them. When they reject us, we welcome them. We give the world no opportunity. We give them no opportunity, no reason to reject Christ. On the contrary, we give them every opportunity to receive Christ. You know, when, 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 when a Christian is treated illy and persecuted and, and done wrong, that person most likely is waiting for that believer to respond back with the same attitude, with the same ill. But, but, but when, we, when we're treated illy and we respond in love and grace, they're like, whoa, what, what is inside of you that's causing this? Why aren't you retaliating back? Why aren't you cursing me out? Why aren't you saying mean things to me? And sometimes we mess up and do say those things. And sometimes we do blow it. I've, I've, I've blown it before. But what we do is we say, I'm not going to, I'm going to love you back in return. I'm, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to show you compassion. I'm going to show you truth because Christ is in me. And what that does, it just melts the shields. It melts the defenses in arguments in persecution, in difficult times, when we do that right thing and, and, and we return love for, for hatred, we pray instead of curse, we welcome instead of reject, and we give them every opportunity to see our Lord and Savior on display.
Verse 24. Uh, verse 24 is an awesome verse. Me and the students, we, we studied this verse Wednesday night in our, in our study this past Wednesday night. Verse 24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. You see, we live in a world that focuses on self-help and 12 steps to fix everything. God has one step, one step. And that one step to fix everything is the cross. It, it is the cross. Everything your soul needs was taken care of at Calvary. Salvation, deliverance, forgiveness, healing, restoration, everything was, was done for you at the cross. And you, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you put your trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes inside and applies to your life everything that was accomplished at the cross. I was talking with the students Wednesday night, and I was like, hey guys, not only does God deal with our, our mortal sins that we commit in this life of the Christ, but he also addresses our emotions and our hearts and, and everything about us, everything that's made up in, in the dynamics of a human being, God fixed at the cross. Healing, deliverance, salvation, forgiveness, it's all given to us there at the cross. And then our passage closes this morning with verse 25. He says, For you were continually straying like a sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Continually straying like a sheep. You know, before we came to Christ, you know, we were just wandering through life, spiritually blind, living in darkness, had no spiritual insight of who God was, and we were going astray. But then when we received Christ, he opened up our hearts. And notice this, these two phrases that's used in verse 25. These describe who Jesus is to you and to me. This is, this is the description of our Savior in our life today. He's a shepherd and he's the guardian of your soul. How is Jesus a shepherd? First off, he nurtures you. He takes care of you. As we're sitting here now studying 1 Peter chapter 2, he is nurturing your soul. He's taking care of your soul. He's building you up in, in your most holy faith. He, he's putting you back together. All the things that were broken, all the things that were messed up, he's, he's bringing you back and he's nurturing you and taking care of you just like a mother would, a child. A shepherd, a shepherd also speaks of a, what does a shepherd do for the sheep? He leads them. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he leads us today. As, as we follow him, as we trust him, as we love him, he leads us through this life. He leads us to be godly men. He leads us to be godly women. He leads us in this life. He's an amazing shepherd, and he loves us. You know, one of the greatest characteristics of a shepherd and the sheep, one is that the shepherd leads the sheep, but also the shepherd loves the sheep. And if one sheep goes astray, what does the shepherd do? He goes after that sheep. He goes after that sheep. If you're, if you're a born-again believer and, and you decide to run, guess who's coming after you? The great shepherd, 
Jesus. He'll lead the flock to come after you, and he will find you. Why? Because he loves you, and he wants to nurture you, and you belong to him. Jesus is our shepherd. The sheep love their shepherd. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. Okay? And we need to understand that in our relationship with the Lord, that he is the shepherd of our soul. We're not, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we have a perfect shepherd who shepherds us. Secondly, in verse 25, it says, uh, but you have returned to the shepherd, and here it is, and the guardian of your soul. Jesus is the guardian of our soul. My soul, my heart can't be sold. It can't be, it can't be pulled away because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the protector of my soul. He is the, if you've given your life to Christ, he is the protector of your soul. He is the defender of your soul. You know, I believe in eternal security. I believe in eternal security. And what God does in the heart of a believer cannot be undone by anyone. It cannot be undone by anyone because God is the author of salvation. God is the one who gives salvation. And he protects us and he defends us. And he also, looking at that phrase, the guardian of your soul. When you think about a guard, you think about a guard that's protecting someone from something that's bad. And a, the guardian of your soul, he warns us of danger. He warns us of danger. He warns us of false teaching. Teachings that go against the clear teachings of Scripture. He warns us to flee from false teachers. He warns us to run from false teaching and run to the Scriptures. Run to the Word of God. This is how he protects us. This is how he guards us. And this is how Jesus is the guardian of your soul. When you open the scriptures, he's teaching you and I his truth and his word. I close with this. I believe we're closing with the song, Surrender. Have you completely surrendered your life to the shepherd? Have you completely surrendered your life to the guardian of your soul? That's who Jesus is. He is, he is our shepherd and he is the guardian of our soul. You surrender your life by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I turn from the old life. I turn from sin, and I put my faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus. And when you do that, Christ will become your shepherd. If, there's, if there be anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they want to surrender their life to him, uh, please don't leave this place this morning without praying with me or one of the leaders and letting us sit down with you and sharing some scripture with you about salvation and coming into this new and living relationship with Christ. We're going to close service with a song. And if you're here, this is for the whole body. If you're here and you have a special prayer request, you're going through a difficult situation, maybe it's with your family, with your work, or your health or whatever, and if you want someone to pray with you, I want to invite you to come up during this final song and receive prayer. And then after that, Kevin, if you'll close us with asking the blessing on the food, we'll have fellowship after service. God bless you guys.